Question 28 of Summa Theologica Tertia Pars, Treatise on the Saviour. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Tertia Pars, Treatise on the Saviour, by St. Thomas Aquinas. Translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 28 of the Virginity of the Mother of God in four articles. We have now to consider the virginity of the Mother of God, concerning which there are four points of inquiry. First, whether she was a virgin in conceiving. Second, whether she was a virgin in his birth. Third, whether she remained a virgin after his birth. Fourth, whether she took a vow of virginity. First article, whether the mother of God was a virgin in conceiving Christ. Objection one. It would seem that the mother of God was not a virgin in conceiving Christ. For no child having father and mother is conceived by a virgin mother. But Christ is said to have had not only a mother, but also a father, according to Luke 2.33. His father and mother were wondering at those things which were spoken concerning him. And further on, in Luke 2.48, in the same chapter, she says, Behold, I and thy father have sought thee sorrowing. Therefore, Christ was not conceived of a virgin mother. Objection to further. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, it is proved that Christ was the son of Abraham and David, through Joseph being descended from David. But this proof would have availed nothing if Joseph were not the father of Christ. Therefore, it seems that Christ's mother conceived him of the seed of Joseph, and consequently, that she was not a virgin in conceiving him. Objection 3 further. It is written in Galatians 4.4, 4, God sent his son made of a woman. But according to the customary mode of speaking, the term woman applies to one who is known of man. Therefore, Christ was not conceived by a virgin mother. Objection 4 further. Things of the same species have the same mode of generation, since generation is specified by its terminus, just as are other notions. But Christ belonged to the same species as other men, according to Philippians 2.7, being made in the likeness of men, and in habit found as a man. Since, therefore, other men are begotten of the mingling of male and female, it seems that Christ was begotten in the same manner, and that consequently he was not conceived of a virgin mother. Objection 5 further. Every natural form has its determinate matter, outside which it cannot be. But the matter of human form appears to be the semen of male and female. If, therefore, Christ's body was not conceived of the semen of male and female, it would not have been truly a human body, which cannot be asserted. 
It seems, therefore, that he was not conceived of a virgin mother. On the contrary, it is written in Isaiah 7, verse 14, Behold, a virgin shall conceive. I answer that, we must confess simply that the mother of Christ was a virgin in conceiving, for to deny this belongs to the heresy of the Ebionites and Cherinthus, who held Christ to be a mere man, and maintained that he was born of both sexes. It is fitting for four reasons that Christ should be born of a virgin. First, in order to maintain the dignity or the Father who sent him. For since Christ is the true and natural Son of God, it was not fitting that he should have another father than God, lest the dignity belonging to God be transferred to another. Secondly, this was befitting to a property of the Son himself, who is sent. For he is the Word of God, and the Word is conceived without any interior corruption. Indeed, interior corruption is incompatible with perfect conception of the Word. Since, therefore, flesh was so assumed by the word of God as to be the flesh of the word of God, it was fitting that it should also be conceived without corruption of the mother. Thirdly, this was befitting to the dignity of Christ's humanity, in which there could be no sin, since by it the sin of the world was taken away, according to John 1.29. Behold the Lamb of God! that is, the Lamb without stain, who taketh away the sin of the world. Now it was not possible in a nature already corrupt for flesh to be born from sexual intercourse without incurring the infection of original sin. When Augustine says in On Marriage 1, in that union, notably the marriage of Mary and Joseph, the nuptial intercourse alone was lacking, because in sinful flesh this could not be without fleshly concupiscence which arises from sin, and without which he wished to be conceived, who was to be without sin. Fourthly, on account of the very end of the incarnation of Christ, which was that men might be born again as sons of God, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, as is reported in John 1.13 that is, of the power of God, of which fact the very conception of Christ was to appear as an exemplar. When Augustine says in On Holy Virginity, It behooved that our head by a notable miracle should be born after the flesh of a virgin, that he might thereby signify that his members would be born after the spirit of a virgin church. Reply to Objection 1 as Bede says on Luke one thirty three, Joseph is called the father of the Savior not that he really was his father, as the Photinians pretended, but that he was considered by men to be so for the safeguarding of Mary's good name. Wherefore Luke adds, in chapter 3, verse 23, being as it was supposed the son of Joseph. Or, according to Augustine, Joseph is called the father of Christ, just as he is called the husband of Mary without fleshly mingling, 
by the mere bond of marriage, being thereby united to him much more closely than if he were adopted from another family. Consequently, that Christ was not begotten of Joseph by fleshly union is no reason why Joseph should not be called his father, since he would be the father even of an adopted son not born of his wife. Reply to Objection 2 As Jerome says on Matthew 1.18, Though Joseph was not the father of our Lord and Savior, the order of his genealogy is traced down to Joseph. First, because the scriptures are not wont to trace the female line in genealogies. Secondly, Mary and Joseph were of the same tribe. Wherefore, by law, he was bound to take her as being of his kin. Likewise, as Augustine says on marriage, one, it was befitting to trace the genealogy down to Joseph, lest in that marriage any slight should be offered to the male sex which is indeed the stronger, for truth suffered nothing thereby since both Joseph and Mary were of the family of David. Reply to Objection 3 As the gloss says on this passage, the word mulier is here used instead of femina, according to the custom of the Hebrew tongue, which applies the term signifying woman to those of the female sex who are virgins. Reply to Objection 4. This argument is true of those things which come into existence by way of nature, since nature, just as it is fixed to one particular effect, so is it determinate to one mode of producing that effect. But as the supernatural power of God extends to the infinite, just as it is not determinate to one effect, so neither is it determinate to one mode of producing any effect whatever. Consequently, just as it was possible for the first man to be produced, by the divine power, from the slime of the earth, so too was it possible for Christ's body to be made, by divine power, from a virgin without the seed of the male. Reply to Objection 5 According to the philosopher on On the Generation of Animals, 1, 2, and 4, in conception, the seed of the male is not by way of matter, but by way of agent, and the female alone supplies the matter. Wherefore, though the seed of the male was lacking in Christ's conception, it does not follow that due matter was lacking. But if the seed of the male were the matter of the fetus in animal conception, it is nevertheless manifest that it is not a matter remaining under one form, but subject to transformation. And though the natural power cannot transmute other than determinate matter to a determinate form, nevertheless the divine power, which is infinite, can transmute all matter to any form whatsoever. Consequently, just as it transmuted the slime of the earth into Adam's body, so could it transmute the matter supplied by his mother into Christ's body, even though it were not the sufficient matter for a natural conception. Second Article Whether Christ's Mother Was a Virgin in His Birth Objection 1. It would seem that Christ's mother was not a virgin in his birth. 
for Ambrose says on Luke 2.23, He who sanctified a strange womb for the birth of a prophet, he it is who opened his mother's womb, that he might go forth unspotted. But opening of the womb excludes virginity. Therefore Christ's mother was not a virgin in his birth. Objection to further. Nothing should have taken place in the mystery of Christ which would make his body seem unreal. Now it seems to pertain not to a true but to an unreal body to be able to go through a closed passage, since two bodies cannot be in one place at the same time. It was therefore unfitting that Christ's body should come forth from his mother's closed womb, and consequently that she should remain a virgin in giving birth to him. Objection 3 further. As Gregory says in the homily for the octave of Easter, that by entering after his resurrection where the disciples were gathered, the doors being shut, our Lord, showed that his body was the same in nature but differed in glory. So that it seems that to go through a closed passage pertains to a glorified body. But Christ's body was not glorified in its conception, but was passable, having the likeness of sinful flesh, as the Apostle says in Romans 8.3. Therefore, he did not come forth through the closed womb of the Virgin. On the contrary, in a sermon of the Council of Ephesus, it is said, After giving birth, nature knows not a virgin, but grace enhances her fruitfulness and affects her motherhood, while in no way does it injure her virginity. Therefore, Christ's mother was a virgin also in giving birth to him. I answer that, without any doubt whatever, we must assert that the mother of Christ was a virgin even in his birth. For the prophet says not only, Behold, a virgin shall conceive, but adds, And shall bear a son. This indeed was befitting for three reasons. First, because this was in keeping with the property of him whose birth is in question, for he is the word of God. For the word is not only conceived in the mind without corruption, but also proceeds from the mind without corruption. Wherefore, in order to show that body to be the body of the very word of God, it was fitting that it should be born of a virgin incorrupt. Whence in the sermon of the Council of Ephesus quoted above we read, Whosoever brings forth mere flesh ceases to be a virgin. But since she gave birth to the word made flesh, God safeguarded her virginity, so as to manifest his word, by which word he thus manifested himself. For neither does our word, when brought forth, corrupt the mind, nor does God, the substantial word, deigning to be born, destroy virginity. Secondly, this is fitting as regards the effect of Christ's incarnation, since he came forth for this purpose, that he might take away our corruption. Wherefore it is unfitting that in his birth he should corrupt his mother's virginity. Thus Augustine says in a sermon on the nativity of our Lord, It was not right that he who came to heal corruption 
should by his advent violate integrity. Thirdly, it was fitting that he who commanded us to honor our father and mother should not in his birth lessen the honor due to his mother. Reply to Objection 1. Ambrose says this in expounding the evangelist's quotation from the law. Every male opening the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. This, says Bede, is said in regard to the wanted manner of birth, not that we are called to believe that our Lord in coming forth violated the abode of her sacred womb, which his entrance therein had hallowed. Wherefore, the opening here spoken of does not imply the unlocking of the enclosure of virginal purity, but the mere coming forth of the infant from the maternal womb. Reply to Objection 2 Christ wished so to show the reality of his body as to manifest his Godhead at the same time. For this reason he mingled wondrous with lowly things. Wherefore, to show that his body was real, he was born of a woman. But in order to manifest his Godhead, he was born of a virgin, for such a birth befits a God, as Ambrose says in his Christmas hymn. Reply to Objection 3. Some have held that Christ in his birth assumed the gift of subtlety when he came forth from the closed womb of a virgin, and that he assumed the gift of agility when with dry feet he walked on the sea. But this is not consistent with what has been decided above in question 14. For these gifts of a glorified body result from an overflow of the soul's glory onto the body as we shall explain further on in treating of glorified bodies, in the supplementum question 82. And it has been said above in question 13, article 3, first reply, and in question 16, article 1, second reply, that before his passion, Christ allowed his flesh to do and to suffer what was proper to it, as Damascene said in On the True Faith 3 nor was there such an overflow of glory from his soul onto his body. We must therefore say that all these things took place miraculously by divine power. Whence Augustine says in his commentary on the Gospel of John, To the substance of a body in which was the Godhead, closed doors were no obstacle. For truly he had power to enter in by doors not open, in whose birth his mother's virginity remained inviolate. And Dionysius says in an epistle, in his letter to Caius, that Christ excelled man in doing that which is proper to man. This is shown in his supernatural conception of a virgin and in the unstable waters bearing the weight of earthly feet. Third article whether Christ's mother remained a virgin after his birth. Objection 1. It would seem that Christ's mother did not remain a virgin after his birth, for it is written in Matthew 1.18, Before Joseph and Mary came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now the evangelist would have not said this before they came together, unless he were certain of their subsequent coming together. 
for no one says of one who does not eventually dine, before he dines. It seems, therefore, that the Blessed Virgin subsequently had intercourse with Joseph, and consequently that she did not remain a virgin after Christ's birth. Objection to further. In the same passage, Matthew 1, verse 20, are related the words of the angel to Joseph, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. But marriage is consummated by carnal intercourse. Therefore, it seems that this must have at some time taken place between Mary and Joseph, and that consequently she did not remain a virgin after Christ's birth. Objection 3 further. Again, in the same passage, a little further on, in Matthew chapter 1, verses 24 and 25, we read, And Joseph took unto him his wife, and he knew her not till she brought forth her firstborn son. Now this conjunction, till, is wont to designate a fixed time, on the conception of which that takes place which previously had not taken place. And the verb knew refers here to knowledge by intercourse, according to St. Jerome. Just as in Genesis 4.1 it is said that Adam knew his wife. Therefore, it seems that after Christ's birth, the Blessed Virgin was known by Joseph, and consequently that she did not remain a virgin after the birth of Christ. Objection for further. Firstborn can only be said of one who has brothers afterwards. Wherefore in Romans 8.29, whom he foreknew, he also predestinated to be made conformable to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. But the evangelist calls Christ the firstborn by his mother. Therefore, she had other children after Christ, and therefore it seems that Christ's mother did not remain a virgin after his birth. Objection 5 further. It is written in John 2.12, After this he went down to Capernaum. He, that is Christ, and his mother and his brethren. But brethren are those who are begotten of the same parent. Therefore it seems that the Blessed Virgin had other sons after Christ. Objection 6 further. It is written again in Matthew 27, verses 55 and 56. There were there, that is, by the cross of Christ, many women afar off, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him, among whom was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Now this Mary, who is called the mother of James and Joseph, seems to have been the mother of Christ, for it is written in John 19.25 that there stood by the cross of Jesus Mary his mother. Therefore it seems that Christ's mother did not remain a virgin after his birth. On the contrary, it is written in Ezekiel 44 verse 2, This gate shall be shut, it shall not be opened, and no man shall pass through it, because the Lord the God of Israel hath entered in by it. Expounding these words, Augustine says in a sermon on the Annunciation of our Lord, 
what means this closed gate in the house of the Lord, except that Mary is to be ever inviolate? What does it mean that no man shall pass through it, save that Joseph shall not know her? And what is this? The Lord alone enters in and goeth out by it, except that the Holy Ghost shall impregnate her, and that the Lord of angels shall be born of her. And what means this? It shall be shut for evermore. But that Mary is a virgin before his birth, a virgin in his birth, and a virgin after his birth. I answer that, without any hesitation, we must abhor the error of Helvidius, who dared to assert that Christ's mother after his birth was carnally known by Joseph and bore other children. For in the first place this is derogatory to Christ's perfection, for as he is in the Godhead the only begotten of the Father, being thus his Son in every respect perfect, so it was becoming that he should be the only begotten Son of his mother, as being her perfect offspring. Secondly, this error is an insult to the Holy Ghost, whose shrine was the virginal womb, wherein he had formed the flesh of Christ. Wherefore it was unbecoming that it should be desecrated by intercourse with man. Thirdly, this is derogatory to the dignity and holiness of God's mother, for thus she would seem to be most ungrateful were she not content with such a son and were she of her own accord by carnal intercourse to forfeit that virginity which had been miraculously preserved in her. Fourthly, it would be tantamount to an imputation of extreme presumption in Joseph to assume that he attempted to violate her by whom the angel's revelation he knew to have conceived by the Holy Ghost. We must therefore simply assert that the mother of God as she was a virgin in conceiving him, and a virgin in giving him birth, did she remain a virgin ever afterwards? Reply to Objection 1. As Jerome says, although this particle before often indicates a subsequent event, yet we must observe that it not infrequently points merely to something previously in the mind, nor is there need that what was in the mind take place eventually, since something may occur to prevent its happening. Thus, if a man say, Before I dined in the port, I set sail, we do not understand him to have dined in port after he set sail, but that his mind was set on dining in port. In like manner, the evangelist says, Before they came together, Mary was found with child of the Holy Ghost not that they came together afterwards, but that, when it seemed that they would come together, this was forestalled through her conceiving by the Holy Ghost, the result being that afterwards they did not come together. Reply to Objection 2 As Augustine says, on marriage, the mother of God is called Joseph's wife from the first promise of her espousals, whom he had not known nor ever was to know by carnal intercourse. For as Ambrose says on Luke one twenty seven, the fact of her marriage is declared not to insinuate the loss of virginity, but to witness to the reality of the union. 
Reply to Objection 3. Some have said that this is not to be understood of carnal knowledge, but of acquaintance. Thus Chrysostom says that Joseph did not know her until she gave birth, being unaware of her dignity. But after she had given birth, then did he know her, because by reason of her child she surpassed the whole world in beauty and dignity, since she alone in the narrow abode of her womb received him whom the world cannot contain. Others again refer this to knowledge by sight, for while Moses was speaking with God, his face was so bright that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold it. So Mary, while being overshadowed by the brightness of the power of the Most High, could not be gazed on by Joseph until she gave birth. But afterwards she is acknowledged by Joseph by looking on her face, not by lustful contact. Jerome, however, grants that this is to be understood of knowledge by intercourse, but he observes that before or until has a twofold sense in scripture. For sometimes it indicates a fixed time, as in Galatians 3.19 it is said that the law was set because of transgressions, until the seed should come to whom he made the promise. On the other hand, it sometimes indicates an indefinite time, as in Psalm 122, verse 2. Our eyes are unto the Lord our God, until he have mercy on us. From which it is not to be gathered that our eyes are turned from God as soon as his mercy has been obtained. In this sense, those things are indicated, of which we might doubt if they had not been written down, while others are left out to be supplied by our understanding. Thus the evangelist says that the mother of God was not known by her husband until she gave birth, that we may be given to understand that still less did he know her afterwards, as Jerome states. Reply to Objection 4 The scriptures are wont to designate as the firstborn not only a child who is followed by others, but also the one that is born first. Otherwise, if a child were not firstborn unless followed by others, the first fruits would not be due as long as there was no further produce, as Jerome states, which is clearly false, since according to the law the first fruits had to be redeemed within a month, according to Numbers 18 verse 16. Reply to Objection 5. Some as Jerome says on Matthew 12, verses 49 and 50. Suppose that the brethren of the Lord were Joseph's son by another wife, but we understand the brethren of the Lord to be not sons of Joseph, but cousins of the Savior, the sons of Mary, his mother's sister. For Scripture speaks of brethren in four senses, namely, those who are united by being of the same parents, of the same nation, of the same family, and by common affection. Wherefore, the brethren of the Lord are so called not by birth as being born of the same mother, but by relationship, as being blood relations of his. But Joseph, as Jerome says, is rather to be believed to have remained a virgin, since he is not said to have had another wife, and a holy man does not live otherwise 
than chastely. Reply to Objection 6 Mary, who is called the mother of James and Joseph, is not to be taken for the mother of our Lord, who is not wont to be named in the gospel save under the designation of her dignity, the mother of Jesus. This Mary is taken to be for the wife of Elpheus, whose son was James the Less, known as the brother of the Lord, in Galatians 1.19. Fourth article. Whether the mother of God took a vow of virginity. Objection 1. It would seem that the mother of God did not take a vow of virginity. For it is written in Deuteronomy 7.14, No one shall be barren among you of either sex. But sterility is a consequence of virginity. Therefore the keeping of virginity was contrary to the commandment of the old law, but before Christ was born, the old law was still in force. Therefore, at that time, the Blessed Virgin could not lawfully take a vow of virginity. Objection to further. The Apostle says in 1 Corinthians 7.25, Concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, but I give counsel. But the perfection of the counsels was to take its beginning from Christ, who is the end of the law, as the Apostle says in Romans 10.4. It was not therefore becoming that the virgin should take a vow of virginity. Objection 3 further. The gloss of Jerome says on 1 Timothy 5.12 that for those who are vowed to virginity, it is reprehensible not only to marry, but also to desire to be married. But the mother of Christ committed no sin for which she could be reprehended, as stated above in question 27, article 4. Since, therefore, she was espoused, as related by Luke 127, it seems that she did not take a vow of virginity. On the contrary, Augustine says in On the Holiness of Virginity, Mary answered the announcing angel. How shall this be done, because I know not man? She would not have said this unless she had already vowed her virginity to God. I answer that, as we have stated in the second part, in the pars secunda secunde, question 88, article 6, works of perfection are more praiseworthy when performed in fulfillment of a vow. Now it is clear that for reasons already given, in Articles 1, 2, and 3, virginity had a special place in the Mother of God. It was therefore fitting that her virginity should be consecrated to God by vow. Nevertheless, because while the law was in force, both men and women were bound to attend on the duty of begetting, since the worship of God was spread according to carnal origin, until Christ was born of that people. The mother of God is not believed to have taken an absolute vow of virginity before being espoused to Joseph, although she desired to do so, yet yielding her own will to God's judgment. Afterwards, however, having taken a husband, according as the custom of the time required, together with him she took a vow of virginity. Reply to Objection 1 because it seemed to be forbidden by the law 
not to take the necessary steps for leaving a posterity on earth, therefore the mother of God did not vow virginity absolutely, but under the condition that it were pleasing to God. When, however, she knew that it was acceptable to God, she made the vow absolute before the angel's annunciation. Reply to Objection 2 Just as the fullness of grace was in Christ perfectly, yet some beginning of the fullness preceded in his mother, so also the observance of the councils, which is an effect of God's grace, began its perfection in Christ, but was begun after a fashion in his virgin mother. Reply to Objection 3 These words of the Apostle are to be understood of those who vow chastity absolutely. Christ's mother did not do this until she was espoused to Joseph. After her espousals, however, by their common consent, she took a vow of virginity together with her spouse. End of question 28 Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.